0: This is your Thursday Daily Delivery. I am Michael Rand. Megan Ryan, Twins beat writer, will join me in just a minute here to talk all about the awful road trip for the Twins. I don't know if it could have gone much worse between the winless uh, 0-4 stretch, the COVID pause, and exactly what happened Wednesday. I'm still not quite sure how to process everything that went on on the field. Howard Sinker did a nice post um, on Thursday morning, starttribune.com, that kind of takes you through all the misery of that game but Megan Ryan, and I will break that down in just a little bit but first what did I miss the wild five wins now in a row since uh, all of them since Marcus Fellino came back from injury they've won eight games in a row overall that Marcus Fellino has been in the lineup um just really interesting how much he helps that team and we've talked about this on the podcast before just just what what he means to to that roster, how how he makes everything else kind of make sense, things like that. And he did it again Wednesday night against uh, Arizona. A goal in the 4-1 to win, five hits. That was a team high. Um, and just, you know, overall solid play, making every line meaningful. Now, wh- what does this mean in the big picture for the Wild? Well, this five-game winning streak has really put them in a good spot. Um, the unfortunate part is it doesn't get them a whole lot more in the West. Um, you know, the, the divisional race, the way things go this year, the Wild very much firmly entrenched in a playoff spot. Um, in terms of points percentage, I think it's interesting right now, the Wild has the fifth best points percentage in the NHL right now, 678. That's a very high mark. That's that's the mark of a very, very good team. Unfortunately, two of the teams above them are also in their division, Vegas and Colorado. I believe Vegas and Colorado have uh, might have the two best, or they're at least in the top five above the Wild. So, you know the trick here is that's going to be a really, really, really good uh, team that comes out of the West almost certainly, and that it's going to be hard to get out of there. But it should makes for some really good playoff viewing as well. But the the Wild kind of stuck. With a lot of really good teams behind them or in front of them, um, and we'll see how they're able to uh, to navigate that. But uh, you know, points percentage of 678, awfully good. That division, awfully good. And uh, you know, we'll we'll see how they're able to navigate that for the rest of the way this season. But it certainly helps to have Marcus Fellino in the lineup, as we saw again on Wednesday. Uh, AC out there in the flat. I's a ball thrown in low. Oh. That that isn't Snellker's fault. Let's use that Jerry Burns clip that I use sometimes as a different entry point into the Timberwolves 128-125 to 125 loss to the Kings on Wednesday night. Wolves had a double-digit lead in the fourth quarter, could not hold on to it. And a lot of that lead was built by the bench, the reserves, who had a really, really good night. In fact, it was 112-102 to 102 when their best player, Carl Anthony Towns, came back into the game with about seven minutes left. That's a double-digit lead right there. They end up coughing up that lead and three more give up. What That would be 26 points in the last seven minutes. Defense matters, everybody. The Wolves did not execute defensively down the stretch. The good things they'd been doing largely with the bench went by the wayside in the final seven minutes, and as a result, they did not. They were not able to win their second consecutive game for who would win the first time since the first two games of the season. Just can't seem to string those wins together. They're 16 and 44 now. Not the bench's fault though. 24 points from Naz Reed. That's second second best on the team behind Towns. They had 50 combined. That's a lot uh, from the big men. Juancho Hernangomez 16 points. Now Jared Vanderbilt four points, six rebounds, two assists, one block. Some really good defense. He was a plus 14 in his 16 minutes. Um, a lot of those bench players were plus players. The only starter who was a a plus player was Josh Okogie, who wouldn't wouldn't luck have it is a good defensive player. So it takes more than just scoring the ball, especially down the stretch. I think the Wolves got away from some of those things. I think the bench had a lot of good things going. I understand the need to bring your your better players, your starters back in. You would have been you, the hindsight would have been even trickier if you leave the bench in too long and then and then they they cough up the lead. They're like, why didn't you bring in the starters? So it, it makes sense. I don't think Chris Finch was at fault. I just think the starters didn't get the job done on a night where the bench combined to score 61 points and to play some really, really good defense. So not the bench's fault that the Wolves were not able to win their second game in a row, a low bar uh, that they have yet to clear since the first and second games of this season.
1: I'm Nyla Jean Myers, Senior Assistant Sports Editor at the Star Tribune. Thank you for listening to Strip Sports Daily Delivery. This work is made possible by our Star Tribune subscribers. For unlimited access to the articles mentioned in this podcast and our coverage of Minnesota sports from pros to preps, go to StarTribune.com slash subscribe.
0: I am happy to be joined on Daily Delivery today by Megan Ryan, who is on the road trip to end all road trips um, and maybe ended the Twins. Now, it's, it's too early to say that, but uh, Megan, your trip out West uh, included a COVID pause included an 0-4 uh, record included getting swept into double header uh, without scoring any runs. And then it included on Wednesday uh, a complete debacle uh, that can only be politely described as a extra inning meltdown where it looked like they were finally going to win a game, even though they gave it away a couple times and then the defense falls apart. So I thought, you had told me that you were a good luck charm on a beat and not a bad luck charm, but Megan, I'm, I'm sorry. Oh, four is not a great start uh, for the twins right now.
1: Well, to be fair, it's kind of like a bespeckled record because I feel like I'm pretty good with like hockey teams in particular and maybe college football teams, but only for one year. Um, so uh, baseball, I guess, is not, not one of those sports for me. Um, I clearly have cursed this team and kenta maeda in particular since he's the only one that i've done a feature on so i'm really sorry kenta that uh this is what it's come to (laughs) but thanks for talking to me even though you'll never talk to me again maybe
0: between you cursing the twins and me cursing a lot of people who come on this podcast this is dangerous it's like uh marcus Felino came on the podcast and uh you know uh not long after that broke his foot so there's just been a couple instances it's not it's Mm -hmm. not a full-blown curse yet so uh, let's uh Let's just uh, let's just leave it at that. But, you know, the on the field, you know, well, I guess first before we get to what happened on the field in Oakland, let's get to the covid pause and just, you know, everything that went into that and just, you know, the strangeness of a team being stranded, you know, potentially being stranded out west. Kind of what what was the process of that as it unfolded and how did they eventually get the all clear to a, to, to play, which maybe they wish they hadn't had now?
1: Yeah. I mean, it's like the worst time to be away from home. Right. I think people say that all the time. Like nobody wants to be sick when you're not at home. Like, and I get that the whole team didn't come down with COVID, but just allow me an analogy. Like it, it is, it's hard to be away from home and things are not going well. Like you don't have the comfort you don't have. Um, you know, for your friends or family or people to take care of you, you don't even have like, you know, some of the things that maybe you like to do when you're sick or, or bored or whatever, like you're, you you do not have your pet to play with, or who knows, like, it's just a horrible time for it to happen. And it's, you know, one thing if they had been semi close to home or something like that even would have helped, um, you know, just reinforcements wise of trying to get people in from St. Paul, but it's like when you're on the West Coast, it's like a three and a half, four hour flight. Um, from where your ultimate site is and you know everybody's got COVID not everybody but it's it's tough so you know what happened was is uh, and we'll just go through the timeline it's a little it's a little confusing Anderson Simmons before um, the team left for California like I think late that Wednesday night he tested positive for COVID um, and there was like so he got put on the COVID IL and that was kind of that. And then there was a brief scare the day before um, I think that Thursday game um, when like Rocco Baldelli and another one of the, the coaches uh, had a false positive um, and like almost didn't think that they were going to be able to travel California. And so there was like this like couple of hour spree on Thursday where all of a sudden everybody was like trying to figure out, well, if Rocco doesn't travel, what do we do? And he takes over And all this stuff. And then it turned out that they were false positives. Um, so they kind of were like, okay, well, you know, that's good. We're out of the woods. We'll go to California. And like everybody tested negative when they had out, headed off to California. But then when they got here on Friday, uh, they had a staff member test positive, a non-uniform staff member. And, um, so that then kind of threw things a little bit into flux again, they ended up playing on Friday, which is a 10 to three loss. Um, but it was tough because there was a certain number of staff members that had sat around this guy on the plane. And, um, you know, that is going to amount to close contact because you're within six feet of someone, even though you're wearing a mask and, you know, social distance or whatever, it's just when you're on an airplane, there's only so much you can do. And they were you know sitting there for three and a half hours. So it sent like probably five or so staff members home from the ballpark. And they were in quarantines as like close contacts, um, And they were looking at maybe having to spend like seven days in quarantine or something. But it it then eventually got downgraded to three because they kept testing negative. Um, So that was that was Friday. And then Saturday, they uh, had two players test positive before the game and Kyle Garlick and then who we now know is Max Kepler. So they ended up having to cancel Saturday's game, cancel Sunday's game. On Sunday, they canceled Monday's game at Oakland and said, we'll do a doubleheader Tuesday, which is eventually what happened. Um, and they didn't have any more positive tests since then. Uh, but they did have kind of a crosshair situation where, um, Caleb Thielbar got put on the COVID IL2, not because he tested positive, but because he spent a significant amount of time with either garlic or Kepler or maybe both of them. So, um, he kind of got taken out of this. And so, uh, and then, you know, they, they played the doubleheader Tuesday, not great. Uh, they didn't score then, a run,
0: Megan. I'd say that's worse than didn't not score great. A run
1: but hey it went pretty fast which is more than i can say for this wednesday game um but uh anyways that was kind of that except for then today uh ahead of this wednesday game they say that jt riddle is all of a sudden on the COVID il and he's on a commercial flight back to minnesota and that was kind of confusing because we were like well but he didn't test positive did he because you can't put him on a commercial flight and they're like no and we're like well is it contact tracing but if it was he should have been on the IL along with field bar like but he played he pinch ran in like yesterday's game and uh they were like well there's a lot of different ways you can end up on the COVID IL, uh which is kind of code for like there was something that went on there i we don't know for sure and it's not on the record but obviously there are different ways that you can expose yourself that doesn't necessarily mean that you were you know in contact with an infected player or whatnot it's just that you know you could have not been wearing your mask or not social distancing properly you could be going out to dinner with somebody or like you know hanging out with anybody outside the team bubble it's all going to put you on that COVID IL so it was kind of a blow because all of a sudden now they've, they've exhausted their taxi squad which are the only like the, there's five guys that they brought over to California to travel with them in case of emergencies and boy did they need them um, and so they exhausted this taxi squad they've got you know Cruz who's playing injured they've got um, Byron Buxton, who's not 100% from injury, but trying to like put the team on its back. It didn't work out for him. God bless him. Um, so it's just been a rough, a rough go. Um, and, you know, even for the players that weren't testing positive or getting put on the COVID IL, they still had to be pretty much locked in their team hotel in Anaheim for like two straight days while they tried to figure out how big of an outbreak this is and you know, it's that the whole team has it or whatnot. So it was, it's been a long couple of days that have gotten guys out of their routines where they haven't been able to like take BP or, you know, do some real legitimate throwing beyond like playing catch in front of the team hotel. So they, they got kind of rusty and I think mentally it's just been tough. So this has not been the greatest road trip in teams history, maybe the worst.
0: Yeah, I mean, I in,
1: in, through
0: through all that, I mean, they start the trip zero three with the two missed games. They they made up the two on Tuesday, the the doubleheader sweep, and you can see they're out of sorts. They 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 come out on Wednesday though, and that the offense gets you know gets on track. Kentomayta has a bad start though. It's kind of one of these back and forth forever games. But they're up 10-9 in the ninth. They, Alexander Kollmick gives up the run. You're thinking, okay, here we go again. But then Byron Buxton like you said, you know, maybe not 100%, but he'd made a diving catch earlier to preserve the lead at least temporarily and then hits the home run in the 10th you you think, okay, at least they can salvage this one game. They're they're not going to go home with this, you know, off-day Thursday just having this awful road trip and then the game ends in the most excruciating fashion, right? I mean, Colme mm-hmm. hits a batter, walks two more and then there's two just really unsightly errors including the uh, the, the game-winning, you know, throwing error by uh, Luis Arias at third base. I mean, I, I don't even know how to describe that in, in just the chain of events that takes you there because Rocco Baldelli pinch runs for Josh Donaldson. Otherwise, Josh Donaldson's probably playing third base. Luis Arias is probably playing second base still. So maybe probably, you probably don't even get that ground ball to third. If Luis Arias is still playing second, maybe he makes that play instead of Blankenship. And, and at least Donaldson probably makes that play at third. It's just so much to think about in that 10th inning. What, what was the post-game... I I I hesitate to even ask what the mood was post game because the mood on Twitter was not great, Megan.
1: Yeah, well, the mood on Twitter is never great to be honest. Uh, Twins fans are are a sad bunch. Uh, like
0: like Gophers There's fans. They're six eleven though. though. I mean, they're they're a happy bunch when things are going well. Yeah. When they were five and two, they were pretty. Uh, they were a lot yeah. happier when they were five and two.
1: Bandwagoners. I mean, nobody I know, sticks to right? their Come teams on. thick and thin. Um, yeah, post game mood was not great. I mean, it's it's tough again. Like I, this is where I kind of miss, not that you want to go into a clubhouse after a bad loss and everyone's surly, but like, it does give you a bit of an emotion and you can kind of read what's happening. And I did ask Rocco, um, you know, after, after the game, I was like, can you just tell me when you guys are walking off the field into the dugout, back to the clubhouse after that, like, after losing the game on like two pretty egregious errors, um, what is it like? Like, is it silent? Um, are people like beating themselves up or people yelling? Like, I, I just not kind of want to know. And he basically said, like, there's just nothing anybody could say. Cause we all know what happened and there, you just like, you can't take it back. And like, we, like it's obvious, like what happened and whose fault it was and like, whatever. But at the end of the day, it's like, it's a new thing. And, and there's just nothing really anybody can say to make anybody feel better, which is fair. Um, but it's, That is what I am finding so interesting about this team and what I've been trying to ask some of the guys um, and Rocco over the last couple of days. is like it is evident that there is there is something going on with this team. And I don't think it's some like horrible structural like we got to fire Rocco. I don't think that's the case, even though the people in my mentions want to see that. I just think that there is a big mental thing coming on here where um, they started the season. In, in tough circumstances right like number one COVID I get the fact that we're all dealing with COVID but like it's hard they had they didn't have a breakout last year they didn't have to post games last year because of it so like that's a new thing that they've all of a sudden had to deal with the fact that Mike Bell their bench coach passed away right before the season and that happened really quickly like from when he was diagnosed to when he when he died like it
0: yeah good point. that
1: that kind of took them all by that kind of shocked them all and I know that he'd only been the bench coach for a season at the time but like that's still something that can that can kind of rock teams and and kind of put them off in the wrong but especially when it happens right before the season is about to start um and then you just combine everything that's going on in Minneapolis which like I get that they're trying to say like well we're not worried about Dante Wright and the Chauvin verdict and all that stuff but there's when there's major events that are happening in your community and you're seeing you know maybe a street you've been on and there's like you know a protest on it or you know you're you're seeing like you know, all these people that, that are in this place that you play for, um, it can take a a toll or it can just, I don't even want to say the word distract because it's not the right word, but like it it, it can occupy your mental space. So they've kind of had these three big whammies that have all kind of compounded onto each other. Um, and then you just add in like being away from home and you add in the results on the field, just kind of continuing to just, again, pile up on each other. Um, and it's just tough to swing out of, especially like, I look, I look at the stuff that happened in the past couple of games and like the, the crazy fluky things that don't normally happen. Like, again, you could talk about the, the error from Arise, right? Like that was egregious, but earlier in the game, when Maeda had like in the very first inning, when Maeda thought he could have fielded this ball and it took a bounce off the mound, like Arise was the one who came and covered that for him and still got the out at first. So like he was making really solid defensive plays earlier in the game, and he had been doing that in in the other losses too. Um, or you look at like there was another there was an out that Josh Donaldson was supposed to have, and the ball got stuck in the netting I of, saw his, that. of yeah. his glove. Right. Like there's just weird things where it's like, even yeah. though know, it feels like you guys are doing everything right, but it's not enough. Um, and so I tried to kind of get at that after the game, but you know I think it's hard for them to kind of admit like. I don't know, nobody, none of these like sports figures want to say like, oh yeah, like we're bad and (laughs) sure, sure does hurt. Um, They want to keep a positive attitude, which I get, but you know, it's tough. I keep asking some of the players, like, what do you do to just like, when you're in a slump, how do you take yourself out of it? Or just like when you're feeling bad about life, what do you do to make you, make you happy? I even asked Kent Maeda after, after this game about that. And he basically was like, I don't think I'm going to smile again until we win.
0: So that's like at like, least oh. like 48 hours. Cause they don't play on Thursday. Like he's going to, that's going to be a, a long stoic uh, I know. scene for Kenta.
1: I know. And it's just so like, I kind of feel for him honestly. Cause I was, I, so I traveled here, obviously great road trip. Um, but I was watching the A's pregame and now they're on an 11 right,
0: game winning streak. Right. That's... So they're,
1: they're pretty, they're pretty happy, but you know, it was, it was really interesting to watch their, like their, batting practice and they're playing hacky sack they're joking around they're like doing a team stretch like they look really cohesive and kind of you know happy to be around each other and I look at the twins batting practices the past couple of days and it hasn't been like that I mean people kind of maybe stood around and talked to each other a little bit but there hasn't really been a ton of laughing that I've seen they certainly haven't been like doing pickup games of futsal or whatever like it just doesn't I haven't even seen that. So it it is really telling to me just from that point of view that there is a little bit of a dire mood around this team and how they turn that around. I don't know if I were in the clubhouse, maybe I could figure it out a little bit better, but
0: yeah. So far
1: it, I, I am not.
0: couple more things. One interesting thing I saw on Twitter, one constructive thing I saw on Twitter, which is hard to find. Uh, Trevor Pellew, former twins, third baseman tweeted, about that that ball that Arias had and how in oakland because there's such a massive foul territory behind first base that throws from third base your depth perception if you're caught flat footed which i think Arias was kind of on his back foot it can seem like that throw to first base is forever away it kind of messes with your mind so i'm not giving luis a a pass on that it was a the throw was way way off i thought that was an interesting perspective from someone who's played Mm -hmm. plenty of games in oakland the other piece that i want to mention was we didn't even get to you know the, the fact that injuries have hit them really hard already this season. You had Donaldson on the IR right away or the IL right away. You had Buxton out for a while, and now it looks like Cruz and Sano. Do we have an update on Nelson Cruz and Miguel Sano? I mean, Nelson Cruz hit two home runs today, so I don't know how bad it was. But, uh, you know, where, where are we at health-wise with those guys as they get prepared to play back at Target Field on Friday?
1: Yeah. And, and true Nelson Cruz, like fashion, you know, he's, he's never been about the running of the bases. He's about hitting the big balls. And so like, that's what he did. Like he was obviously not hundred percent. He late in the double header. Um, he took a pitch like, off his like right ankle area and it, it kind of hobbled him at the time. He kind of limped off and they put a pinch runner in for him. Um, and we'd asked after the game, like, what's going on with that? And they was like, Oh, we'll evaluate. We'll see. Um, and he played to Gay, so that was a good sign. But at the same time, it's like, you know, he he had to hit two home runs because he would not – if like, if it was a base hit, I don't think he could have made it to first before they threw him out because, like – the slow trot that he was doing around the bases. And it wasn't just to like soak in, you know, no. hit in the home run. He's like enough home just, runs. He
0: doesn't need to soak him in.
1: Exactly. He just like literally it took him a long time to get around because his ankle was not up up to par. And so I think as the game went on, it just continued to kind of swell up and stiffen up and, and they kept wrapping it and icing it on the in the dugout. But um eventually they you know they kind of had to set him because it just did you know, he couldn't do anything more and he contributed two home runs which is good. And I gave him a lot of credit for playing because again, their depth is tested. They've exhausted their taxi squad. There's just like really not a lot more options you have. Um, And especially with Sano. So Sano didn't play in the second game of the doubleheader yesterday. And he also didn't play today. And um, that was because he apparently, you know, had a tight, hamstring situation right hamstring after the first game of the doubleheader, and so uh they've just been evaluating it And I guess they deemed that it wasn't he wasn't ready to go yet um but you know hamstrings are kind of a tough thing we've had a couple of them on the twins here already and you know people sometimes they take longer to come back from and sometimes they're back in a couple of days it just kind of depends um so it's kind of unknown but obviously you know McAllison has been having a Bit of a tough time as well at the plate, so there was some suspicion that maybe he wasn't playing the doubleheader against the lefty because, you know, his, his hitting had not been great, especially against lefties. Uh, but I think it's an injury thing, so they say. So I guess we'll just have to wait and see if, you know, a day off tomorrow is good enough for for Nelson and Miguel to get back.
0: Got it. Well, and you know, one thing we can't forget too is this team. You know, even though they started five and two, things had started to kind of go downhill even before the 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 covid scare but this is definitely you know seems like it took a piece like you said took a took a significant piece out of them on this trip and you know i know they have the off day thursday but i thought one thing that was interesting i'll just kind of a final thought i don't know if rocco got asked about this post game on wednesday but they I feel like they've taken great pains to protect their pitchers this year you know, the starters don't go too deep you know the bullpen they, they tried to protect taylor rogers in particular not working him too hard Colomay winds up throwing 49 pitches Wednesday just because of the nature of that second inning and I just it just struck me as like you do all these things and then Colomay ends up throwing like the equivalent of you know like a four <laughs> inning start in a normal game. It's just just one of those things where I, they, I don't know what else they could have done except maybe bringing Alcala, but it, it just turned out to be another one of those you know unfortunate moments in the game.
1: Yeah, I mean, definitely the, the bullpen, I think, has, has gotten their fair share of flax so far this season. And, um, you know, I get that. But I also think like and, and Kentamaeda mentioned this as well after the game, like it, it starts with him. Like when he only goes three innings, it just puts you in a, a tough situation to try to manage it. And I mean, not everyone was terrible. I mean, Taylor Rogers did, did a pretty bang up job um, for the innings that he was in there. And he had to maybe do a little bit of a heavier load than he was expecting as well um but it is it's it's just tough and you know when you can't put a game away like it it makes it a really tough situation um especially when you just aren't in a blowout situation where you can just put S in and knock <laughs> <have> them lobs <laughs> right. 46 mile per hour strikes um so it's not it's not been great but again it's like i don't i don't know what else they could have done they're just their hands are really tied um when you have the depth and the personnel that you have, and then you just can't, for some reason, close out a game, even when your offense is finally doing really good, which it hadn't been for the past couple of games.
0: I think the thing they need to do is just play nine inning games. They're six and three in nine inning games, and oh, and eight huh. in uh, seven or extra inning games this year. Megan Ryan, great stuff. Um, thanks for joining me uh, from this road trip to end all road trips. I hope the next one's a little bit more successful. I hope you ate some good food, at least on this trip, because that's a, that's a fun piece of, of all this. And uh, we'll chat again soon. All right. Thanks, Rand. Good talking to Megan. I really appreciated her big picture perspective because you can get kind of bogged down in the games, the you know, the, the errors, things like that. And you can kind of forget that these are human beings and that there's a lot going on that has been thrown at this team already this season, and that can at least start to explain some of what we're seeing on the field and that, you know, hopefully we'll we'll see some you know we'll see some of that start to fade and we'll see the team that I think this can become which is a much better team at the very least than what we've seen on the field you know in these last 9 or 10 games let's end with the cooler let's talk about the European Super League soccer in a in a local context this is a league that I didn't even get to talk about as it was starting to form because it disbanded so quickly or at least it seems like it will disband so quickly um kind of brought out on a Sunday this past Sunday and by Tuesday Pretty much every team had pulled out of it because it was such a bad deal. Basically, a bunch of rich owners getting together trying to bit trying to put all the richest, uh, most popular teams from Europe, you know, various countries into one league. Uh, guess what? Everybody hated the idea. Um, they were going to ban the players from playing in the World Cup, and next thing you know, it's not happening. Well, I, I wanted to know, you know, aside from the, the hubris of these owners and, and other things like, if they tried something like this in North American sports, what? What Minnesota teams would would qualify for a twelve team super league, which is what this league was going to be? So here, out of the out of the top six leagues in uh, in North America, here here's how I had it shaking down in terms of Minnesota teams. WNBA, that's an easy one. There's only twelve teams to begin with, so all of them would obviously make the cut. And the, the Lynx obviously make that. But even if they trim that in half or even cut it to four teams, the Lynx make that cut because they're they're one of the WBA's model WNBA's model franchises. So easy one there. Another easy one in the opposite direction. The Wolves lowest winning percentage in the history of major North American sports teams right now. That's not uh, that's not great, you guys. Uh, so they're, they're routinely in the bottom of attendance. They would get nowhere near a 12 team Super League uh, for basketball. Borderline, but out the wild. Sorry, the wild would not make it. There'd be an outcry here. I know, but this is not really the one of the 12 most prestigious teams in, in the NHL. Franchise value is down in the bottom, you know, bottom half of the league at least we're not in the biggest media market it's close but i say the wild misses the cut It winds up in whatever lower tier league that that comes out of this the twins they don't make the cut either a lot of country music concerts at target field with the revenue they need them to, to make up to after the twins are relegated um at least now maybe hey, maybe now they win a playoff game you know maybe now they win a playoff game that's that's the silver lining Borderline, but in, I say the Vikings make the cut in a 12-team super NFL NFL league. The seven best winning percentage in league history, a sizable following, a new stadium. I think they make it. I think they're one of the 12 biggest franchises in the NFL. And Minnesota United, I say, the, I say the Loons make it too. You know, brand new franchise, soccer-specific stadium. I think they're growing into being one of the top clubs in Major League Soccer. So that's how I see it. Super League failed. This would never happen here. Of course, this was just a thought exercise, which is probably about what the actual Super League in Europe amounted to. And another good reminder that if you complain enough about a bad idea, people will take notice and it does not have to happen. That'll do it for today. Good stuff coming tomorrow. Marcus Fuller, our Gophers basketball beat writer, will join me along with Jamison Battle, one of the newest members of the Gophers, former D. LaSalle player, transferred from George Washington. Looking forward to that conversation. Thanks for listening today. Download this podcast, subscribe to it, write a review if you can. Always subscribe to Star Tribune, StarTribune.com. I'm Michael Rand. I will talk to you again on Friday.